Welcome to Myth Take, episode number... Five. Five. Yes. Okay. The fifth. The fifth and final. No, just joking. Just starting. Yes. Okay. So, we are on our mythological tour of the solar system. Yes. And we are at stop number two. And this stop is... Uh, Hermes. Mercury. Mercury. The planet Mercury. Yes. So, as usual, or as will be usual, I've got a few facts about, about Mercury. Yeah, facts and facts and figures. Yeah, um, it's actually really timely that we're doing this right now because totally. we are in the month of May, yes. which is named after Maya, who is Hermes' mother. Yes, and we're going to uh, meet which her. is Mercury. Mercury is Hermes, and Hermes is Mercury. Yes. One is Greek and one is Roman. So don't get confused. We'll establish that now. But I'll tell you right now, you'll probably never hear me ever say Mercury in reference no. to this god. I'll always say Hermes. No. Okay. I, I always go with the Greek names too. Okay. So Mercury is the first of the four terrestrial planets, the four inner planets that are lumps of rock going around the sun. It's the closest planet to the sun, as you probably know. And it is apparently quite difficult to observe from Earth because it's tiny and it is so close to the sun. So mm-hmm. your best chances of seeing it apparently are at dawn. I'm, yeah. What, what is dawn? At dawn. I'm never up that early, <laughs> or at twilight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually quite bright, and because of its proximity to the sun, it's quite energetic. It moves uh, quite a bit through the yes. horizon. Yes. Uh, so it orbits the sun in 88 days. So one Mercury year is 88 days, uh, traveling at a speed of 50 kilometers a second. That's according, good. According to NASA. That's a fast one. Yes. Yes. And then the other cool reason that we are doing this right now, this topic right now, is that Mercury transits the sun, crosses the face of the sun 13 times a century. Mm-hmm. And... That will be occurring this month. Yes, May 9th. May 9th, we're going to have a Mercury transit, so that also links our first podcast, which was on Helios, and this is our uh, second podcast on the same topic, which is on Mercury. So the two of them, as Mercury transitions the Sun, we're moving from Helios to Mercury, from Helios to Hermes. I will, however, caution, please do not look at the Sun. No, not without some... (laughs) Some high-tech Like a welding mask or something (laughs) like that, yes. Um, so Mercury is rocky, as I said. It's it's apparently much like our moon. It has no atmosphere. It's got lots of craters and mountains and valleys and things going on there. Oh yeah. And I mentioned, I mentioned when we were talking about Helios about naming conventions. I think. Yeah. Okay. So the naming conventions for a few of the features on Mercury follow some interesting themes. Okay. Um, the impact craters are named after artists, painters, and authors who have been deceived, deceived, deceased at least 50 years. Oh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. you can be immortalized, you know, on the surface of Mercury for yeah. an impact crater. If you've, you know, like, if you've been you know, a significant artist, painter, sure. or author. Right. Yeah. Within the last 50 years. Uh, dead at least 50 years. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, ridges are named after some deceased scientists who have worked on, on Mer- like not well, on Mer- Mercury, on the subject of Mercury. Sure. Um, valleys are named after abandoned ancient settlements. And mountains are named 
um, after the word for hot in various languages. Oh, that's cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the first spacecraft to Mercury was Mariner 10. I forgot to look up the date for that one. Oh, yeah. Um, but right now, MESSENGER, which is actually an acronym. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just thought it was a very appropriate name. A MESSENGER sure, for, for to the Hermes. Herald of the Gods, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been orbiting since March 18th, 2011. So, uh, Mercury may have water, in ice water, in deep craters at the poles. Yeah. That's um, doubtful, right? Well, this is this is from the NASA website. This mm -hmm. is from the NASA website. And the, hence why it's at the poles and in deep yeah. craters, because it's the coldest spot. Because Mercury yeah. is so close to the sun. Well, it's the like, temperatures... You know, infernal the, there. Well, but th this is the thing. The, um, yeah. Daytime on, Mer on Mercury, so uh -huh. the side facing the sun, yeah. is... Um, 430 degrees Celsius. That's so a that's hot day. 800 Fahrenheit. Yeah. And nighttime temperatures are minus 180 Celsius. Wow. Um, or minus 290 Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, so if it's not exposed to the sun, it's pretty cold because there's no atmosphere keeping, yeah. keeping it warm. Right. Um, no, moons. Um, no moons. Gravity is significantly less than that on Earth. So in our mugs, mugsometer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the eight pound cat would weigh three pounds, 3.04 pounds oh, on that, Mercury. So she nothing. would float away. We'd have to tie her down. Ah, three pounds, you know, jump for great distances, run at great speed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and Enough gravity to keep her there. Yeah, barely. Um, and a third, <clears throat> Mercury's a third of the size of the Earth. Well, that's cool. So it's pretty tiny. Yeah, it's pretty small. So as you mentioned, Mercury is the Roman name for the god Hermes. That's the right. Romans didn't really come up with a lot of original stuff. They basically copied what they learned from cultures around them and sometimes gave new names. Well, as far things. as their um, in terms of mythology, gods are yeah, yeah, in terms of mythology. So they um, now they didn't do some variations few, yeah, of to course. them, but yeah. they're they're roughly uh, roughly the same. So Hermes, as we're going to learn about today, is the Greek god of foundries and trade and business and herdsmen and thresholds and absolutely. Um, he's he is, is. Is this a Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. Yes. Oh, good, because on the Roman calendar, Mercuri Deus is Wednesday, and that is that's, the day of merchants. That's, that's right. And if you know French, day. Mercredi. Yeah. Yes. yeah, there you go. Right? There you Mercredi, go. I didn't even think that. Right? This is ooh, yeah. this is getting freaky. I know. And also, <laughs> according to the hymn itself, Maya gave birth to Hermes on the fourth day of May. So here we are on the fourth day of May. So everything yeah. comes together oh, now. This so is I'm scary. setting you up for a huge disappointment. No, I don't know. Who knows? It'll be good. Um, I hopefully, hopefully it's good. But everything uh, is um, uh, fortune is in our um, yes. Okay, favor. fingers crossed. Then this all goes well. Yeah. Um, so Mer uh, Hermes, um, one of his chief duties was as a psychopomp, which means a leader of souls. Ooh, yes. And so when you died, Hermes led you to the underworld to Hades. CK meaning soul, pompous meaning leader. Indeed. And um, this is something that really interests me. His symbol is a caduceus which is two snakes wrapped around a winged staff. You see that everywhere? And the interesting thing is, when you see that, it's often used now in medical um, yes. medical situations. So it's all, so I always get a little a little chuckle out of that because yeah. they're... You know, the American Medical Association or something yeah. like that, right? Yes. Um, it's confused with the staff of Asclepius, yes. which is a single staff with, or rod with one, one snake, snake coiled yeah. around it. Whereas the caduceus, um, as I pronounce it, is winged. And yeah. two snakes intertwined. Yes, exactly. Yeah, usually. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and 
uh, he's oh Hermes was associated with alchemy and transmu transmutation mm -hmm. um, when alchemy was still considered a science. He has some minor prophecies, yes, such as bees. I came across uh, pebble dancing. Yeah, uh, one of the primary sources refers to some kind of prophecy done with dancing on pebbles. Oh, I have yeah, it's a form yeah. of augury, yeah. kind of like yeah. throwing bones or rune stones or knuckle yeah. bones. Yeah. Well, knuckle bones is another one that yeah. Hermes is associated okay. with too. Um, he was said in in antiquity he was credited with having invented astronomy, musical scales, the alphabet, weights and measures. That makes sense. Uh, alphabet and weight, weights and measures, things you need for business and yeah. uh, and communication. Totally. He's also uh, credited with fire making and making the lyre, which we're going to learn yeah. about today. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about. Yeah. So. Uh, it's why to say invents a lot. He uh, he had some temples around the Greek world. No no major uh, no major centers. There was a shrine at Mount Kylini, his birthplace. Um, in Attica, around Athens, there was the Festival of Hermes, which Plato mentions. But our most common, perhaps, representation of him in the ancient times were the Hermes. Oh, yeah. The Herms. Yeah. Um, so these are boundary stones. I'll maybe put a picture up on the blog. Um, it's basically a block yeah, of stone that's got a head. Yeah. yeah, it's got uh, the top is carved into the head of Hermes as mm -hmm. a bearded man. It mm -hmm. has an erect phallus, which symbolizes fertility and good luck. And these were erected at crossroads, boundaries, and gymnasia as that's well, right. which I thought was interesting mm -hmm. too. Um, so, why don't we get to looking at our passage? Sure. Do you want to set the passage up for us? Well, we we have. Um, to look at the Homeric hymn to Hermes, and it is um, not as old as the uh, hymn to Apollo, but it's still about 510 BC, and it is not that very long, but it is diff different in in the fact that it has a different type of narrative than um, we're used to. Lots of times hymns are just songs of praise, and they tell you about the timai, or the honor of a god or goddess, and what function they perform in the universe, and then the poet, singer, thanks them, and then leaves it. But this is one of the more interesting ones that is a little longer and has a narrative. Uh, this one is more of a story of becoming, uh, as opposed to like uh, Apollo, which is more of a story of being. Apollo really is just sort of created, and then he's very busy. But uh, Hermes is really, this is a rags-to-riches type narrative. Uh, along with a couple of other type of uh, motifs that are common in world literature. And he is in the process of becoming something, right? He's becoming a god, right? So um, he has a very sort of miraculous birth and then immediately sets about doing some interesting things to get what he wants. And after he leapt up from the immortal limbs of Maya, he did not stay for long lying in his holy cradle, but sprang up and sought the cattle of Apollo, walking over the threshold of the high vaulted cave. There, finding a tortoise, he won endless joy. Hermes indeed was the first to make the tortoise a singer, as she met him at the courtyard gates, feeding on the rich grass in front of the house, going lightly on her feet. And the swift son of Zeus, laughing, watched her and immediately spoke a word. Already a very useful token for me. I do not scorn it. Hail, comrade of the feast, Lovely in shape, played at the dance, a welcome sight. Whence did you, a tortoise living in the mountains, clothe yourself in this beautiful plaything, this gleaming shell? But I will take and carry you into the house, and you will profit me, nor will I dishonor you, but first you will help me. It is better to be at home, since the outdoors is harmful, for surely you will be a defense against baneful attacks while alive, but if you die, then you would sing very beautifully. So he spoke. 
and at the same time, lifting her up in both hands, he went back into the house carrying the lovely plaything. Then, after swinging her around, he pierced through the life force of the mountain tortoise with a knife of grey iron. Okay, thank you, Allison, for reading thank that. You, I gotta come up with a new joke. That one's probably getting old. So that this is the Homeric hymn to Hermes, and that was starting line twenty to line forty-two. Yep. So, Hermes at this point, it is important to note, has just been born. He is a baby, one of the only, one of the few gods who has a babyhood. Yeah, that's true. Most of them are pretty much born, they're born fully formed. Fully formed. <laughs> Uh, and and this is that's a no small point because the Zeus uh, in Hesiod's Theogony is um, given a infancy uh, and a maturity cycle, and uh, this uh, in this story Hermes is uh, born and uh, in 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 the course of this whole narrative he is a baby he's just a day old but already um, being able to talk and move about and do divine things and demonstrate great strength and wit and cunning and so on. So I think that's interesting because, uh, you know, the, Zeus is the source. Uh, Hermes wants to be Zeus, right? doesn't want to be Zeus. He wants to be recognized by Zeus, right? Mm -hmm. He wants um, his um, lineage to be vindicated and he wants a job, mm -hmm. right? So right away, just by saying, you know, in the corpus of the work of uh, these hymns and in the extended sort of work of uh, the mythology that we have, um, there are only two gods that I can think of that have a birth narrative that includes an infancy. Zeus is one and Hermes is the other. Signals them out in a unique connection already. So I think yeah. we're on pretty good grounds with that. And right away we see two of his characters and uh, characteristics in those first uh, or the first yeah. four lines there. His thinking, his uh, polytropous mind, yes. a mind of many turns, right. and his liminal his it's liminal uh, quality, yes. Liminal quality. So yeah. liminal um, is kind of boundaries, thresholds, space that's kind of one, not one space, but not quite the other space. Sure, yet moving either. from one thing to another, whether in word or thought or deed, yeah. represents transition uh, and change, right? And this is something that I was talking about before. This whole narrative itself can be seen as a as a as a liminal quality, as be, as becoming, as opposed to just simply being. Yeah, and uh, when he walks over the threshold of a high vaulted cave that uh, he lives in with his mother, thresholds are, Magic. are magical places yep. um, in mythology. Um, we see we see this, I'm thinking Aphrodite, but it happens with Demeter as well in her hymn, yep. um, that the gods sometimes transform in this space because a threshold space it's not outside it's not inside it's in between yeah. and this is actually this idea of the threshold too is why traditionally grooms carried their brides across the yeah. threshold so they wouldn't trip because that would be very bad so inauspicious i yes. suppose yeah yeah so yeah. anyway that actually goes back i think to roman times but anyway yeah. so thresholds um but hermes does, places. yeah and hermes does the same thing here with the tortoise in this passage he does yeah. after he kills her does pick her up and bring her back into the house yes um, because of that transition space. You need to be the arbiter of that transition. Transition means mm -hmm. that you own it, and the thing that you carry, in essence, becomes your property, that which you have power yeah. over. right? So you yeah. can see that even in the bridegroom analogy in the sort of patriarchal society of the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks. Yeah, and Hermes um, and his ability to cross to cross thresholds freely, yeah. um, which other gods and other people can't cross, like, right. like Hades, for example, when, right. he's a, when he's a psychopomp. You can't come and go from Hades from, from the underworld no. freely, but Hermes can. Hermes can get you down there, 
and uh, if if need to, uh, he can come he, back. He can he, come he, back. He can come back and freely, he, and and he can escort people uh, back uh, to the surface. Persephone, for example. Persephone, yeah. um, um, uh, Hercules. Uh, he um, followed up Hercules with the uh, Cerberus myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, heroes, right? Yeah, he's there. Right. And uh, just as a side note there, too, um, Hermes is actually um, worshipped as part of the Eleusinian Mysteries because yeah. of his role of escorting Persephone back and forth between... Yeah, he's thrown in there. The, yeah, okay, yeah. but that's, anyway, that's just a little Demeter, I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so after he leapt up from the immortal limbs of Maya, Maya's his mother, a little mm-hmm. bit of information about Maya. Oh, yeah. She's, right. a, she's a non-Olympian god. She's, in fact, a, um, a daughter of Atlas, which was a titan. Right, there are seven of them, and since we're dealing with the sort of planetary bodies and the stars, right, um, the seven sisters are the Pleiades, the Pleiades constellation. Uh, I know it's not exactly our solar system, but it's part of the night sky. Yeah. Maya yeah. is up there, right, along with her six other sisters who happen to be daughters of Atlas. And we've encountered a daughter of Atlas before in the Homeric hymns, and also in the Odyssey. Calypso, for example, is a oh, daughter okay. of Atlas, and. Um, you you can you can sort of see that there some of the, these two Maya and Calypso are kind of alike in a way. They are um, separate from the Olympian order. They have a tendency to be very into, into rugged individuals and to live on their own in places of their own authority, whether it be on Ojigia, which is the island of Calypso, or this cave that Maya has. And Maya's cave is described as high vaulted, so it's not like a dank, you know, dirty kind of place where you wouldn't really want to be. It's kind of a nice place. It has cupboards and so on that can be ransacked. So it's There's all right. It's got a door and it's described as having a courtyard and a gateway. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a neat place, but it's a secret place and it's a place where she lives by herself. And it's significant that this is a cave. This is in Mount uh, Mount Kalini area in Greece. This is not on Olympus. So yeah. Hermes is a son of Zeus, he, but Zeus has kids all over the place. Yeah, like that's that's one of the markers of yeah. Zeus is his prolific procreation. Right. Um, so this is a long way from the top of Mount Olympus. It is. It's an Arcadia. It's a nowhere place. Yeah. Um, he's described in the hymn as Lord of Kylene and Lord of Arcadia. Mm-hmm. And you might think, oh, what a grand thing, right? But it's not that grand. If you knew what Arcadia was like or what Kylene was like. It's like shepherds and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's so remote. It's hillbilly town, right? <laughs> and uh, it's, it's like the Ozarks, right? It's, uh, it's, it's nowhere. And... Um, Although it would be great to, you know, be a but lord. But we we're not yeah. trying to offend anyone from the Ozarks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure, of course not. But it's, well, that, then, it's in, that stereotype oh, oh. Yeah, of it's, being it's, in the middle of nowhere. Sure, like, like being, the sticks. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like what we say, all yeah. the sticks. The middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where he is. And from this place, from, from this nowhere place, this rags to riches story is being established, which I also found a very interesting kind of correlation in Arthurian uh, legend and Arthurian, Arthurian literature and the folk motif surrounding a, a concept called the fair unknown. And the fair unknown is very similar to this and it's in which a young man of questionable lineage becomes an integral part of society, initially appearing in, a, in the court, right, because these are courtly stories, with um, uh, an established identity. The fair unknown boldly demands to be knighted and so on and so forth. Mm. So that sort of is a, a more modern something um, representation of this story. So where does the fair unknown motif come from? It comes from ancient Greece. It comes okay. from this rag to riches story. And we see evidence of it in the story of Hermes. 
And in that third line that I read, um, he sprang up and he sought the cattle of Apollo. It doesn't make much sense to you when you're encountering the hymn for the very first time. Yeah, but like, he already has hell? a plan. Yeah. He has a plan for how he is going to get entrance to Mount Olympus. Because you don't just walk up to Mount Olympus and wander in and say, Hey, Zeus, how's it, how's it going? You, need, you need to be invited by the yep. gods or brought up by the gods. And so right there... Um, Hermes already has a plan. He's showing that Matus and then those cunning, cunning qualities. He does, and he has a plan, and he has a target, and that target is his stepbrother Apollo. Yeah. Right. Apollo represents everything that Hermes wants to be in the eyes of his father Zeus, as an illegitimate bastard son. Right. Um, he wants what Apollo has, and he knows how to get it. And and you know, as the reader in this story, we're kind of being dragged along because we don't really know what's going on either, but. Um, Apollo definitely doesn't know what's going on yet, and um, uh, Hermes has a plan from the moment of his uh, first day. Yeah, and that's just four lines. We got all that out of that. Yeah, and this, if, this, this is a dense. If, this is a this is a dense. dense. Oh, it's mythologically dense. Yeah, that that so, that line about the tortoise, right? Like yeah, okay, you can tortoise. see. Yeah, you can see the tortoise. You can see that immediately. You're like, okay, what's the big deal? He gets up, he goes outside, he kills a tortoise. Well, immediately that tortoise is an essential part of the plan, right? He knows that it that uh, this is something that he will use and he will use um in order to get what he wants right and and there is a great word yeah. that um i know you i know you know we'll see if you remember that? it that means that something that you happen upon by chance that's right oh yeah the hermion hermion exactly yeah. and that's what the tortoise is hermes yeah. happens across her sure and he sees her not as the tortoise he, he mentions that he was it mentions that he was the first to make the tortoise a singer. Yes. Um, so even like when he first sees the, the tortoise, he says, already a very useful token for me. His yep. mind is like yep. 10 steps ahead That's of where it. anybody else's would. And he sees not the tortoise yeah. as a pet or something like that. He sees a more important, a more useful yeah. role for that tortoise. And right. that is that is with her shell. And he refers to her as comrade of the feast, lovely in shape, played at the dance. Well, an ancient Greek would know right away that what they're talking about is uh, the playing of the lyre at the symposium, and right? that's accompanied that's by made singing and dancing with the tortoise, with the tortoise shell. As the sounding box. Yeah, absolutely. So, as an inventor and as a as a polytropaic god and a smart god and a cunning god of, of high matis, Hermes sees the things um, not as they are, but as they can be, and he can invent things. He has an inventor's mind. So immediately, the the fortunate occurrence of the tortoise. Um, is something that he just grasps upon and says, I can use you already. You are a useful token to me. So I like that. You shall help me is what it says, right? Mm -hmm. What he says to it. And, and then he transforms the tortoise into the first lyre. And this is an etymological myth to describe the invention of the lyre, one of many inventions that Hermes will um, <laughs> invent during the course of his hymn, right? And uh, so this is his first. So that's a pretty good introduction. Now, I would like to add a little bit more mm -hmm. in the sense that you can often see that myths uh, talk to other myths. And that um, there is, you can use a word like intertextuality, but uh, this is not a text in the true sense of the word. But as myths exist in sort of a more organic corpus, things pop up on occasion and people who are accustomed to the cues can pick them up. And one of them is the idea that, um, of course, with the daughters of Atlas, Maya being one of them, 
um, she uh, lives in this house. This is, she lives in this cave, like Calypso lives on her segregated island. And this goes back to an earlier myth um, about um, the wedding of Zeus and Hera and the fact that the goddesses, these goddesses, the daughters of Atlas were invited and um, one of them chose not to go um, or maybe all of them, which would explain their, their penchant for isolation. But one of them is a uh, sister of Maya called Keleno and in ancient Greek, Keleno means tortoise. So um, it, it also means dark one, right? Because of the seven sisters in the sky, the seven Pleiades, this is the one that is least bright, okay. right? So it has a very practical right, naming, uh, but it also is very close to Keleno, uh, meaning tortoise, right? And in the myth, it is said that because she chose not to attend the wedding, that she was punished by Zeus and transformed into a turtle. So Keleno is this turtle, right? Or okay. could be this turtle. So there you have myths talking to myths there, right? Yeah. About, you know, what's going on and just giving you a larger context about what happened to these sisters, right? Mm -hmm. And the condition that they find themselves in. And, and it makes sense because just after that, he does talk about the fact that it says, you know, you shouldn't leave home because home is safe. And when yes. you leave home, that's dangerous. Well, a turtle brings its home, home. on its back. I'd never right? thought of that before, but you're right. So, And uh, turtles are great at living alone. They just like oh, yeah. curl up into they their just, shell. And yeah, they're exactly. perfect introverts. So it's like a mobile house. It's like yeah. Zeus said as punishment, if you will not leave your house and attend my August wedding, then then in your home you shall be and transform okay. her into a tortoise, right? So there's a pretty good... Um, uh, sort of complex of myths that sort of cycle around that that are informative of and this. we see in that bit of, of Hermes speech as well his his quality of matus his, yes. his use of words like yep. he, he says um, but I will take and carry you into the house so we see him crossing the threshold, threshold again picking her up you will profit me nor will I dishonor you, but right. first, but first you'll help me. Right. And so, for those familiar with the hymn, they and the story, they can see right there that um, he Hermes is going to make her into something useful that he is going to later use as a bargaining ship. Right. With and that Apollo. Right. And that transformation will bring him honor. Uh, it will Brings serve the him, liar and honor. it will serve her as well. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone wants to be transformed into a liar, but, um, you know, well, who knows? Yeah. Right? In the mythological <laughs> mind, this seems to be a great honor, right? It is better at home since outdoors is harmful. Well, is yeah. it ever, right? Yeah. That is the place of danger, right? For surely you, and here he's, a, he's, he's addressing, his, his speech shifts a little bit from addressing the tortoise in general yeah. to addressing the shell specifically. Right. And so here he's addressing the shell. You will be a defense against baneful attacks while alive. But if you die, then you would sing very beautifully. So we're seeing, again, we're seeing Hermes' association with death here, too, because he kills the tortoise. Absolutely, and, and I found a very obscure reference, but in, in uh, Plutarch, Plutarch references the utility of tortoise flesh as a ward against witchcraft. Oh, so okay. th th that's part of what the baneful attack is. And then also the very practical fact that it is in an armored shell. shell. Right? Exactly. So yeah. all of those things are... They, they, they all add up to um, yeah. something of significance in, in uh, your critical analysis. Things to point out in your close reading, right? Um, so Hermes picks her up. 
mm-hmm. and, and with with both his hands, which I think is probably good policy for carrying uh, for carrying tortoises. But he, sure. but but, but I think large. it's also pointing out his carefulness, right? Okay. Because he takes her back in the house, he swings her around, which I'm not um, entirely clear. And, and my notes on this yeah. Homeric hymn say that. Um, that the swinging of a tortoise or a lizard on the end of a string was a game played by children in ancient Greece. He's a baby after all. He wants and to play, children, might play be, games. And the poet might be using these words to remind us that Hermes is is a child. That sounds like a horrible, horrible well, of game course. to play. Oh, of course. It's like, you know, throwing a kitten up in the air or something like that, right? That they, is also a horrible, well, horrible game to play. Well, it's like things that we would never do today, but, you know, back in the day they did weird things, right? So, but anyway, I, I, if you look at it as a child's game, that makes perfect sense yeah. considering the context. It also is, is, is indicative of the way that uh, his liminal quality, by tossing it up, it disorients it, moves it about, it's preparing it for its... Sort of transformation, like throwing up a pizza, you know, like uh, <laughs> stretching it out, you know, like that type of thing, okay. getting it ready. But the point that I wanted to get to get to and link back to that right. about him picking her up and carrying her in carefully. Oh, the boundary. He pierced through the life force of the mountain tortoise with a knife of gray iron. Yeah. The shell is also a boundary. And he's here, he, he is ca- he's crossing the physical boundary yeah. of the tortoise mm-hmm. into her insides. But he's also causing the tortoise or taking the tortoise from the boundary of life to death. And the key thing, though, is that he respects the boundary. He does not destroy the boundary in the process. A god like Apollo would walk in and smash the tortoise. Yeah, he has the strength to. Right? But Hermes could. Yeah, and Dionysus does the same keeps the boundaries yeah. intact. Yes. And that's really critical for the Greek cosmos to function. You have to have um, recognition and uh, what's um, respect mm-hmm. for for boundaries of for, knowing... For things to work. For, exactly, yeah. for things to work. Yeah. And not to become chaos. And Totally. And, and this, this, his relationship, his liminal quality and his relationship with boundaries informs every aspect of his timai. Right, and that's something we can draw out later. But his even in his killing, right, he honors the boundary. He pierces the tsike, he pierces the life force like a balloon. They deflate. There's no violence. There's no smashing, right? And and, and it is alive, and then it, now it is dead, dead. right? Yeah. So now it, it's in its new state, and then he transforms it into a liar. All right. Okay, so let's uh, let's skip forward a little bit in the story. Um, we're going to look forward to another speech of Hermes. Um, Darren, why don't you fill, fill us in a little bit on what happens in the hymn after that first passage that we read and kind of set sure. us up for this next one? Well, he, he creates the lyre uh, on his first day with the intention of stealing the cattle of Apollo, right? His stepbrother. Um, that may sound strange, but it will Oof. be the gambit that he uses to legitimize himself in the eyes of his father, Zeus, mm-hmm. right? So he creates the lyre and then just cleverly tucks it away under his arm. And we don't really hear much about it, but he, it is his constant companion. And he does sing this a song whole, on it. Yes, during this whole hymn, right? Yes. Um, so he uh, leaves, uh, the, uh, leaves the cave and he travels uh, with great speed to uh, Pieria, the region uh, uh, below Mount Olympus, where, cat, where Apollo keeps his cattle. He uh, takes 50 of them, separates them from the herd, and then drives them to the Alphaeus River at Olympia. And we see there lots more of Hermes' quality, his association with trickery yeah. and deceit mm-hmm. and thieves and herdsmen and 
um, shepherds and that kind of thing is sure. all there. All yeah. the anybody, good or bad, anybody that crosses boundaries. Because, that's right. Yeah, there's a there's a um, interesting moral quality to to Hermes. Uh, he um, the Greeks themselves uh, prided themselves on deceit. They in fact made a you know um, a, a lying into a fine art. And uh, so this is something that is, um, uh, with uh, Hermes, that is a praiseworthy activity, right? Cunning is a quality of uh, the greatest gods and heroes. Mm -hmm. So, um, Like Odysseus. Like Odysseus, right? Uh, Who is, in fact, related to um, Hermes himself, right? So he drives the cattle to this sandy place. He uses a trick. Uh, yeah. he, he makes them little sand shoes instead of snowshoes to make it look like, they, yeah, he makes like giant they're walking feet. in the opposite yeah. direction than he, they really he leads are. The, he leads them backwards. Well, he turns their hooves backwards, and then he follows them with these gigantic sort of, they look like snowshoes, I guess, made out of wicker work, right? Just called big feet in the play. Uh, I mean, in the hymn. And uh, he takes them by a sort of circuitous route to try to throw off the tracker. And he leads them to Olympia, a cult center to his father. And again, you know, well, why lead them there? The nothing is without reason. So it's there so, because? Because it's a place for the gods. And which Hermes god? Is for Zeus. Yep. And Hermes wants to be a god. Yep. And that song that I mentioned that he played on his lyre, he mm-hmm. included himself in that song to the gods. Yeah, his, and now he yeah. is going to include himself in yeah. this sacrifice. So he starts doing the sacrifice. He doesn't complete it, though. Well, he, he, yeah, he decides he's going to sacrifice some of those cattle to honor the gods. Exactly. Yeah. So he, he, and he divides up... Thir- uh, how, many is he, how many does he kill? I'm not too sure. Uh, Two, maybe? Two or three? Um, he's got 50. He drives them down there to Olympia and stashes them in a the cave while he yeah. prepares a number of them for sacrifice. And he wants to have a sacrificial meal, right? And it's important. Two. Sorry, so only just, two. Yeah. yeah, two or three. I didn't think yeah. there was that many. And uh, he, he divides them. He divides he, them up. He divides them into twelve lots. And yeah. now we we know or we think of the of them as the twelve Olympian gods, but that includes Hermes. So mm-hmm. here he's, but he's not an Olympian god yet. yet. So he yet. Yeah. So he starts this sacrifice, and he includes a portion for himself. Yeah. He's tempted to eat it, but he resists. He resists because meat is for mortals. mortals. That's right. Yeah. So there's a couple of things about that which I find ambition, right, is an equality of Hermes, and it's audacious to include himself in the companies of the gods, even in this representative sacrifice. Yet he does it anyways. It it suggests this trajectory towards divinity, but at the same time, it's also representative of the thing that holds him back: the appetite, right? The moral qual the the mortal quality of eating, right? He doesn't want to, although it says he longs for the flesh of the cult, right? It's like looking at that. Big Mac and saying, "Oh, I could really eat that Big Mac right now, but I'm not going to." Right? So he he does that. Um, but also, too, you know what's interesting about that? Now that I think about it, is the Namos scene, because again, it's a division, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Zeus is the is the is the, the arbiter of Namos, yeah. right? So um, you know when he parcels out the Timai of the gods, here we have Hermes parceling out a division of sacrifice that that signals his quest towards Timai, right? So they're all connected, right? Okay, so there's a lot more detail in this chunk that we're skipping over. Yeah, a lot. But um, in, when Hermes is finished with his... His sacrifice. With the start of his sacrifice, he, he comes back home. Yep. 
It's past his curfew. Maya oh. has already shut the door, so he yeah. squeezes in through the keyhole. Again, crosses the boundary mm-hmm. without breaking it. Yeah. And she takes him to task when he comes in and wants to know why he's home late. So this is our next passage here is starting on line 162, where Hermes speaks to his mother. But Hermes answered her with crafty words. My mother, why do you aim these threats at me as if I were a foolish young child who knows very few evils in his heart and cowers, fearful at his mother's threats? But I shall enter into whatever skill is best to feed myself and you forever, and the two of us alone among the immortal gods will not continue to stay here in this place without offerings and without prayers as you bid. Better to converse with the immortals all our days, rich, wealthy, with much land for crops, than to sit at home in a gloomy cave. And about honor, I too will enter into the cult which Apollo has. And if my father will not grant this, I will try, and I have the power, to be a leader of Thebes. And if the son of glorious Leto searches for me, I think something else even greater will befall him. For I will go to Pitho and to break into his great house. From there I will plunder splendid tripods in, upon, in abundance and cauldrons, and gold and gleaming iron in abundance, and much clothing. And you will see it if you want. And we're back. Thanks, Allison. You're very welcome, Darren. So that was 163 <laughs> to 183 and around there, so about. Yeah. 162. 163. Okay, 162. And it'll so be up home. on the blog. And, and, and oh, yeah, totally. Notes. So Hermes comes home and, you know, like any teenager that's been out past his curfew, was chastised by his mother, Maya. Where have you been? Right? You're just a baby. But already she acknowledges the fact that he is roguish, right, and a thief. And that she fully expected him to, you know, come home but be carried in the door by Apollo who had him wrapped in bonds that he could not escape, right? But no, he comes home on his, own. Know, on his own, right? And climbs into his crib, right? Two-day-old two children definitely need curfews. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> this is the, what, the, I think this is the evening of his birthday. Actually, yeah, you're right. This is the evening. He's not even yeah. two days old no, yet. No, he's going to have his first, first sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he passes through the doorway, right, uh, like a mist, like a vapor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is his quality, his liminal quality is mm-hmm. being expressed, his association with boundaries, leaving them intact, right? Uh, and, you know, that's a very interesting relationship that they have here, right? The mother does chastise Hermes, but he doesn't take it lightly and, you know, uncharacteristically. Well, no, I would say characteristically, because he is ambitious, right? Uh, he does defend himself. And he uses crafty words. Crafty and words. as we're always telling our students, whenever you see the word crafty, think that quality of matus, mm-hmm. um, that ability to think on your feet and be and be crafty with 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 your thoughts. And and there's there's lots of humor in in this hymn where uh, Hermes is, plays off of being like oh, I'm just a little baby and I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, and here he says to his to his mom like Why are you talking to me like I'm just a kid? And it's. Mm-hmm. It's just a comical little funny thing because we know he is just a little baby. He is just a little kid. So the absurdity of it is something that is attractive, right? Because we can all, it's like Stewie from Family Guy. And he's the same sort of thing where, yes, on the surface, he looks like a baby, but he speaks with a great deal of intelligence and he acts like a a mature adult, right? So that's, that's part of its charm, right? So when, anyways, when he does speak to her, he just says, why do you aim these threats at me as if I were a foolish child? You know, well, don't you think, you know, that she knows that, but... Come on, mom. Yeah, <laughs> come on, mom. I was out doing serious things, right, uh, with a serious plan, and, and you know what? Um, I was doing it not only for myself, 
right? But I'm doing it for you, mm -hmm. right? So his intentions are not entirely selfish. So we just said that the cave is a pretty nice cave, but it's not nice enough for Hermes. He's, he, it, it's painfully clear here. Mm -hmm. He does not want to be stuck in the backwoods of nowhere no. for, it might be for, any, for, longer, for yeah. any longer than he has to. And that's mm -hmm. what he says. And the two of us alone among the immortal gods will not continue to stay here. Mm -hmm. He talks about like a at home in a gloomy cave. Yeah, I think there's a fair degree, a fair degree of notoriety that have been attributed to these daughters of Atlas. Um, and this is a, an opportunity not only to legitimate Hermes, but Hermes sees it as an opportunity to legitimate his mother too. And maybe she'll, she'll come to recognize his, his plan, right? Let's get, us, let's get us out of this place and let's get us into a situation like the Olympian gods where we can receive timai and honor and, and we can receive uh, wealth and attention you know, from mortals and, and all those great things that comes along with being in the club, right, so to speak. And honor here is really what this is about. And so, so honor means the recognition of a god's domain, of, what, of, of their power, their sphere of influence. And it's accomplished through these rituals, through sacrifice and rituals performed by the mortals for That's right. them. Yeah. Um, and so the problem, so as Darren already mentioned, um, you've got Zeus who divides up Timae among the gods back in Theogony. And so now we've got this new god on the scene who's got to figure out yeah. how he How's can he get fit? some Timae, where he's going he's gonna to fit in. Absolutely. So his solution is just to, to, to steal, steal it. <laughs> to steal it. Right. And to, to, to bargain here. So, mm -hmm. so what, he's, what he's done is he's taken Apollo's cattle and he's effectively holding them hostage right. so that Apollo will come looking for them. And then his plan we'll see later is mm -hmm. he bargains he uses the liar as a bargaining chip yeah. to get some teammate out of apollo and, and in the process he gets brought to zeus as right. well yeah so it's kind of like having a pie with 12 pieces all the pieces have already been divvied up right so yeah. what do i do if i want a piece of that pie well i need to steal a piece or i need to steal a fraction of a piece or, or convince at least a, somebody to give you some exactly of yeah to yeah. give me a taste and then i'll have something some, right yeah. you know some something to do and he says he has the power to do it and and if the him up to this point is any um proof of that we can see he does a great deal of supernatural things and has a great deal of power well and he says like and if and if they won't give me anything well you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be a leader of thieves. Right. Like all yeah. he's, he will do whatever he can mm -hmm. to get teammate, even if it's not teammate that we would think of that we in human terms would think of as honorable in, in, in any way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And cause he, he even, and right there you get exposed a little bit more of the plot, the linkage between his ambition and his stepbrother Apollo. Because if he will not give it to me, then I will break into his house and I will steal his things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's that's the reference to Delphi. Pitho? Yeah. Pitho? Pitho? I think I said it wrong in, in the reading. Um, that refers to Delphi, which is the great sanctuary of Apollo at Delphi. That's right. And loaded all, with treasure. Loaded with treasure because yeah. that's what you do when you go to a sanctuary. You Absolutely. bring treasure. You bring offerings for for the gods. And so, yeah. And the so more you have. Hermes will just break in and steal it all right. um, from from Apollo and something else that I just want to point I'll out here because I don't think I don't think we've talked about this mm -hmm. is this reconciliation of opposites idea uh -huh. so the idea is that um, if you're God of one thing you're also God of its opposite sure. so a great example is that Apollo is one of the gods of health but that also means he's a god of sickness right mm -hmm. and so um, 
Hermes is a god of business and trade. Yes. But he's also a god of thieves, which yes. is really the opposite of business or trade, is, is taking yeah. things unfairly. Mm -hmm. But he's also the god of... The thief and the things. watcher at the gate, right? Yes. So he's both the guard and the thief. Yeah. He's the merchant and the thief. The burglar and the... You know, and, the, uh, and the watchman. Yeah, and the yeah. watchman, right? Yeah. Those types of things. Yeah. So uh, he, it, it, it's also that transit, that's transitional, right? Because mm -hmm. it's referencing the transition of ownership. Yes. What was yours is now mine. When I steal from you, that was yours, and then I steal it, and it transitions into my property. So it crosses a luminal boundary of ownership and becomes something yes. magical. Hence the transformative capacity of Hermes as an alchemical divinity. Yes. Right? So, and that's all about transformation. That's all about transformation. And transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he, he threatens to steal it and uh, steal the, um, the loot and the treasure of his stepbrother Apollo. Uh, and... Um, that's pretty much the end of that particular passage, yeah. right? But we are we going to talk about how it ends, or do? Yeah, we... Of course, I, oh, I, okay. I I think we should definitely let our listeners know. Well, like in a no, nutshell, I'm hanging on that. <laughs> right in a nutshell, I've already kind of alluded to some of it, but sure, but... yeah. Well, like we said, he wanted to be legitimated in the eyes of his father, and the fact that he couldn't really get to Mount Olympus for a um, audience with Zeus at Zeus's court on Olympia, to use the you know the fair unknown analogy. Um, but um, someone can take him there. Yes, and that's going to be Apollo. And it will be Apollo. So Apollo, of course, is quite upset over the theft of his cattle. He's not a dunderhead, right? Um, although some people think that you know he's less than the sharpest god around. And he goes looking for his stolen cattle. So we have also, we've completely left out, just for space of time, uh, another character in this scene, which is a human mortal. And someday we'll come back and we'll do, we'll, we'll do an episode just looking at that because yeah. that's, an, uh, that's its own episode. Yeah. But Apollo figures out what has happened to, um, to his cattle and he goes barging into the cave. And this is a really good contrast between Apollo's way of crossing a boundary, which is about strength and pushing his way in, yeah. and Hermes, who just slipped through the keyhole right. and Where didn't is even it? Where need is to it? open the door. Yeah. So Apollo charges in. He's looking for he's he's looking for his cows inside the cave. Yeah. And pulling open cupboards. It's a big cave. And Hermes is just like, "What me? I don't know what a cow is. I'm just yeah. a little baby. Like, how could I do something like yeah, this?" Yeah, because Hermes is wrapped in his swaddling clothes with his a liar under his arm in his crib at the time of Apollo's you know entrance and ransacking of the cave. And Apollo confronts him, right? And then Apollo picks him up, yes. ready to carry him off. And I love this line, mm -hmm. uh, reading this with my students in class, on line 295. He sent forth an omen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he let out some stink. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, because you can picture... And Apollo, Apollo does doesn't not like, it. like that at all. No, well, Apollo's very prim and very proper, a very sort of um, um, silver spoon type aristocrat. And uh, the two of them, um, at this particular point, are on opposite sides of the fence. They will reconcile. That's what the story is about. But um, at this particular point, Apollo sees Hermes as a uh, this this trickster, this uncouth baby figure, and the fact that Hermes just you know farts on him, just um, you know um, he throws him down on the ground. Yeah, like he drops him. He's like, oh my god. Yeah. yeah, it's like dirty diaper boo. You know? And. Uh... Apollo is determined mm -hmm. to take Hermes to Zeus and to get Zeus to make a, make Hermes give him back his cows. This is a classic sibling conflict. Yeah, it is. Every, pretty much everybody, I think, can relate to this. Or certainly anybody with a sibling can relate to this. Well, 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. There is sibling rivalry here going on, a great deal of it. And um, if we look closely at the dialogue, we see, in fact, that um, firstly, um, Apollo is very much like, uh, very much in character. He um, is frightening and powerful and immediately falls back on violence by threatening to hurdle Hermes into Tartarus. And he has the power to do so because he is like his powerful father, Zeus. But if we look closely at it, we see that Hermes is the one who is responsible for planting the seed in Apollo's mind to seek arbitration before Zeus on Mount Olympus, right? Yes. And then her, Apollo because goes, that's his goal. Oh, that's where he needs I'm to glad go. I thought of it, <laughs> right? As he takes credit for it yes. because that's Apollo. And then boom, they go, right? So they get to Olympus and they're in front of Zeus. And um, long story short, Zeus does recognize Hermes. He does. And yeah. uh, gives him a little wink and a nod, like that's my boy. Yeah. Um, he's clever. He's funny. I, I I I like this kid. You two go yeah. sort it out amongst yourselves. Hence the sibling part of yes. it, right? Now Zeus has acknowledged the fact that they're brothers in some way, right? Not in some yeah. way. They are brothers. Uh, and he says, you go take care of it, right? Because Apollo's the injured party. Um, Hermes denies it. He perjures himself in front of the god of oaths. That's an audacious act, right? Um, and. Uh, then all of a sudden uh, Zeus says, okay, um, like recognizes like, and that the two of them are taken away to settle their differences. So now comes the clincher. Yeah. Because they show up where the cows are, and as we've already mentioned, Problem. two of the cows are dead. So yeah. what is Hermes going to do here? Apollo's furious. Yes. But this is where the liar comes in handy. Sure, and he also tries to bind them, which doesn't work. Yes, yeah. that's the right. Withies. Yes. Yeah. Um, so... Um, Hermes is able to use the lyre as a bargaining chip yep. with um, Apollo's really mad and he's dreaming him out and then Hermes just kind of starts plucking away at the lyre and yeah. Apollo goes oh what's this new thing that's right and he bec and becomes very interested in it yeah, um, he, he creates a sonic invention it's another one of his inventions he sings a hymn right and so here again, we have a Homeric hymn talking about Hermes, and in that hymn, Hermes sings a hymn. So the story is folding back in on itself again, right? Yes. The stories start to talk to themselves, and Paulo's like, oh, wow, what a cool thing. I really like that. Is there a way that I could get that? And now the door's been opened for the exchange. And then Apollo eventually says to Hermes, there will now be renown among the immortal gods for you, yourself, and your mother. And I will say it exactly. Yes, by this spear of cornel wood. Yes. So there's the staff. The staff, yeah. Um, I shall lead the way for you to be famous among the immortals and the rich. So yeah. um, Hermes, gives, Hermes gives Apollo the lyre, mm -hmm. which becomes a symbol of Apollo. Apollo gives Hermes the staff, which we know as the caduceus, which is a symbol of the cattle and of driving cattle. Sure. And then and a he also gives, yeah, yeah, there's there's some other things. We mentioned about about uh, Hermes being associated with the Meyer prophecy. Totally. And Apollo gives him some kind of little divination involving um, bees, I think it is. Yes, yeah, a yeah, minor bees. prophecy. Yeah, the bee maidens. Yes. That's, that, that's where they are. Apollo um, used to used to have that when he was a young man on the yeah. slopes of Mount Parnassus. So that's about line 550. Young God, I should say. Yeah. Um, so, in the end, <laughs> Hermes, Hermes gets, gets what, he, what wants. he wants. Apollo Apollo gets what he wants. And they're reconciled. They're reconciled, and uh, and Hermes but, fulfills this very important function within within the cosmos. Oh yeah, that is an important function. You know, and, the, and their reconciliation is a bit tentative, 
because Apollo um, has Hermes bind himself metaphorically with a very powerful oath mm-hmm. that um, he um, is still, if you read it closely, seems a little un- un- uneasy with, right? Because yeah. what is what is an oath to Hermes, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Hermes has proven himself to be a trickster and a liar right. and a thief, and mm-hmm. so... It's, hey, a, it's a rough what? road, yeah. If Frank Underwood on House of Cards yes. had a patron god, yeah. it'd totally be Hermes. It would, oh, really, eh? It'd okay. totally be Hermes. All right. He well, stalks out of both sides of his mouth at the same time. Oh, hey, you're oh, very yeah. pragmatic. Right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Okay, so, you know, um, that reconciliation is something that happens at the end, and you can see the trajectory, right? And and just an interesting thing to note, too, is that Apollo does give Hermes his team eye, right? Mm-hmm. So the pie analogy works well. But also what it does tell us about is that Apollo, which we will be probably looking at in another podcast, has the capacity to distribute Namoy as well, right? Like his father. Like his father. So this is something that he can do, right? They primarily come from him or things that he has acquired, but he can do it. So Mm -hmm. it's like father, like son. So Zeus probably knew that when he said, go and settle it, because Zeus didn't really give him anything new. He didn't give him anything that really wasn't there. But um, uh, Hermes uh, gives him, uh, Hermes, uh, his Timai is, is, unique in a sense that it is unseen in the universe thus far mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah so that's a so a yeah so that's how through. that's how we get from hermes this little baby to a swift planet yes the swiftest planet in the, our solar the messenger system of zeus. whipping around the sun right the herald um, of zeus speed. So, yeah, it's important that we use the word like kerox, which is herald or messenger. Yeah. messenger. And it's its essential yeah. function, right? Yeah. Um, and Hermes shows up in all other kinds of, of myths um, in that messenger capacity. Yeah. For example, um, when we looked at Odysseus and Circe a few, yep. episode two or something like that. See, it's only five episodes. He's in, all I've over forgotten. Um, he, he shows up. So he... he Iliad, he's Odyssey. He is a, a, frequent, um, a frequent visitor... Um, Delivering delivering messages and, and carrying off the dead. Right, and it could be argued the most important god in the Greek cosmos, yes. right? cosmologically speaking, because without the capacity to deliver messages, without the communication, or without communication, or to trans or to um, to uh, transport himself across boundaries, then gods themselves might not be able to operate. And we don't really think of heralds as, um, essential. As, as as essential, but they really were in the ancient world and even in the medieval world as well. You're dealing with um, societies that are not literate or are not largely literate. Um, so how do you get a message from point A and point B? How do you announce news? You don't have a newspaper. You don't have radio. You have heralds. And yeah. so heralds were sanctioned by the gods. They're sacred and protected. Sacred and protected by, by the gods. Um, to deliver messages. And when Hermes speaks, he speaks with the glossal, the tongue of Zeus. Zeus so yeah. if you threaten him, you are uh, committing a mortal sin, right? Yes. So that, that, that is something, because he's emblematic of Zeus's yes. power, right? And the idea is like Hermes, is like the internet. Yeah, yeah. Right? Hermes, so that's perfect. Hermes, no internet? Hermes is the internet. Boom. Then we have problems. So then with that, we don't have any listener mail. So why don't we wrap up and get this episode up on Hermes? Absolutely. It's been fun. All right. We'll see you again. Um, Twitter, I'm at Ines Allison. I'm at Darren Sundstrom. I think we forgot to introduce ourselves at the beginning. I'm Allison. I'm Darren. Yeah, you probably caught on to that by now. This is Myth Take, episode five. And please take take a minute to rate us on iTunes and join us next week for... 
our next stop on the solar system. Oh, uh, a very interesting one. Yes. Uh, yeah, Venus. Oh, I was going to make people guess. Oh, sorry. See, see how well they remembered. Okay. Okay, see you next week. Bye-bye. Yeah.